Hello, and welcome to the Becoming Yourself podcast, where we discuss how to live more authentic lives and how to discover and embody our soul's highest purpose. I'm your host, Angelina Sage. A quick housekeeping note before we get started is now that I'm in my podcasting groove, I've decided to release an episode each Friday. I had said in the first episode that I wasn't sure how that would end up being organized. So now that I have it figured out, I just wanted to give you an update on what you can expect. I'm having so much fun creating these and I'm really appreciating and enjoying the feedback I'm getting. So thank you to everyone who's reached out. There are several ways that you can get in touch with me. The first is you can email me directly at sagehealinginfo at gmail.com. And the rest of the ways you can access through my website, which is angelinasagehealing.com. So on every page of my website, there is a brief contact form that you can fill out. And then at the top of my website, there is a Facebook tab, which will take you straight to my Facebook page. And from there, you can either post directly on my page or you can send me a DM. So I look forward to hearing from you because I really love engaging with listeners. Okay, let's get started. Figuring out your purpose and uncovering your authentic self can really be a process. I'm looking forward to sharing with you some concrete frameworks starting probably in the ne- either in the next episode or within a couple. Um, but first, I think it would be really helpful to lay out what I consider to be sort of the work that comes before the work. Imagine that this episode will lay the foundation for what's coming next. I'm going to be honest. This episode is jam-packed, not with data. It's not like I'm going to drop a ton of information on you. Um, It's more that there's just a lot of steps that I'm going to be offering to you. So if you're someone who likes to take notes, this would be a good time to do it. I'm putting a lot of action steps in along with information in case you're someone who really wants to take your personal growth to the next level. If you're just starting out on that journey, this episode will be very helpful. If you've been on this path for a while, some of this may be old news for you, but it's always a good refresher. So I wouldn't necessarily do all the action steps at once unless you already have a life that is set up for you to have a lot of emotional space to do a lot of uh, thinking and journaling and meditating and all those types of things because this could end up unearthing more than you have time to deal with if your life is super busy. So please consider that before you try to take everything on. But you can write it all down and do the exercises as time allows. And by giving them to you all at once, First of all, you know where to come back to when you're ready to go to the next one. But you can, when I when I say them all at once, you can choose to start with the ones that 
are really speaking to you right now because that will certainly be the best place to start. One of them or two will probably call to you and that's your way of knowing, okay, this is where I begin. So today I would like to share with you what I consider to be the very first step in this becoming yourself process that really can't be skipped. This is a path to clarity and clarity is really an essential part of being authentic. So there are three pieces to this step. The first one is eliminating unnecessary distractions. The second is turning off your autopilot setting. And the third is radical self-honesty. So let's start with distraction. Distractions are everywhere. That's just kind of the reality of the world we live in. We're over-communicated, we're overwhelmed, we're overstimulated, and a bunch of other overs. Everything is set up right now for us to be distracted. If you think about it, historically, you would have had to try quite a bit harder to be in this perpetual state of distraction that's just commonplace now. Because people would come home from work with, of course, depending on what period of time we're thinking about, but they would come home from work with no phones, no computers, and the only way to communicate was in person, face to face, unless you sat down to write a letter, which would take days or weeks to get to the other person. And writing a letter, that is intentional communication. That's not distraction. So I am not in any way suggesting that we uh, try to go back to that time or try to emulate that time, and really we can't anyway. But I'm just trying to say, hey, we kind of take for granted our current lifestyle now as being normal, in air quotes, but it's actually not normal for humans. It's like brand spanking new. So distractions are really personal. So from one person to the next, it's going to be really variable. To one person, reading may be a time of focus and introspection and deep learning. And then for another person, it might actually be a way to forget about what happened that day or what is currently making you unhappy in your life. So while there are things that we can probably agree are universally under the distraction heading, like uh, mindlessly scrolling social media or watching three hours of TV, in general, it is a pretty personal thing. So the key here is to figure out what you do to distract yourself and why. For some people, it might just be immediately obvious what their distraction method of choice is. So if you're listening to me talk right now and something is just popping right out to you, then great, there you go. But if you aren't sure, you can just start kind of tracking what you're spending a lot of your leisure time doing and how much of that time you are checked out while you're doing it. So this is really different from being totally in the zone, in a flow state, and just focused entirely on what you're doing and loving it. I want to be clear that I'm differentiating between distractions and hobbies. Hobbies are great. 
If you spend a lot of your leisure time doing yoga or painting or hanging out with friends and it really recharges your batteries instead of draining them, then it's a good chance that you're not in distraction mode. In fact, as I mentioned, a lot of hobbies can put people into a kind of meditative state, which is the opposite of distraction. If meditation is total presence to awareness and the present moment, that is the opposite of distraction. And the difference is if you find yourself reaching for those knitting needles or your cell phone whenever your thoughts start to go somewhere you aren't comfortable with, or a feeling rises up that doesn't feel very good, that is your clue that you might be distracting. And this is why it's so personal. And of course, I have to mention addictions. Addictions are obviously much more than simply distraction, but it is one aspect of them. Whatever an addict is getting from their drug or behavior Uh, that they're addicted to, whether it's a high or numbness or whatever else, it's hugely distracting and then it pulls them out of whatever their baseline feeling is, whatever they're trying to escape. So why do we distract ourselves? There are probably countless reasons, but I see two big overarching ones. And the first one is to avoid feeling pain. People naturally avoid pain. All animals do. But pain is there for a reason. Emotional pain sends us an important message just as physical pain does. It's something is wrong. Pay attention. So I'm not going to get super granular today about which emotions signal which problems although there is a whole field of study about that. But just more as an overview, try to remember that pain is trying to tell you something. Sadness, grief, depression, anxiety, anger, they're all like different components of a language, if you can think of it that way. And everyone needs to learn that language for themselves. For some people, as soon as they cease the distracting behavior, they'll immediately feel something unpleasant, just well up. And that's actually great. It might be kind of alarming and and certainly uncomfortable, but it, it makes your job a bit easier because you don't have to go digging. So again, a disclaimer, if you have an actual addiction or any serious trauma, please seek help from a qualified professional instead of trying to figure it out yourself. I personally have experienced PTSD and it took a couple of years of trauma therapy and EMDR to work through it. It is no joke. So this advice that I'm extending is for people who do not have any serious unresolved trauma. So I just want to be clear about that. So you might be wondering, okay, if I cut my distractions, what will I do with the time that I usually spend in that distraction? That's a great question. So I can offer all the usual suggestions like do yoga, meditate, take a walk in nature. Those are all totally awesome. And actually I do recommend all those things. But the truth is it doesn't particularly matter what you do 
as long as you're not distracted. You're looking to cultivate a sense of stillness and a sense of quiet. And whether you only have 20 minutes of it in a day, if you work long hours or you have small children or you have four hours of it in a day, whatever the case may be, you want to make good use of it by having your own thoughts and feelings as your company. So of course, turn off your notifications and if it's an option, silence your cell phone and like that's a good place to start. But some people, when they turn off their distractions, they feel immediate calm. Their body's like, yes, I've been waiting for this. And it's just like such a relief. Other people feel anxiety because it's so foreign. It's the opposite where their body is going like waiting for the other shoe to drop. Why is it quiet? Why is nothing happening? So whatever comes up for you, don't judge it. When thoughts and feelings do start to arise, this is a great time to journal if you like to write or you can pray or you can even, I've, I've done this while I'm driving and I can't write, um, I'll just hit the audio record button on my phone and just talk through whatever is coming up. So that's another option. You might be amazed at what comes through. There's really no predicting where your mind will take you, and that's the point. You can receive some truly amazing guidance from your higher self just by giving it the space and the quiet to speak, which it so rarely has time to do in our super busy lives. Another note I want to make about distractions is needing background noise all the time. If you're someone who feels like they need music or the TV on in the background all the time when you're falling asleep, when you're making dinner or, or whatever, try a couple of days without and see what happens. There's actually no shortage of scientific research showing that sound pollution causes many adverse effects on both the mind and the body. And many people, though certainly not all, who seek constant background noise are in some way trying to drown out their own thoughts and feelings. And this isn't a judgment at all. It's it's not. Like, if that is a coping strategy that you use, okay, that's just information. Other people use other ones. But it's an, it's an important observation. And Meal times are another important thing to focus on. I'm sure you have heard all the talk about not eating on the go and how bad it is for your digestion. It's so true. So as a good general rule, try taking five slow, deep breaths after you sit down before you begin eating. This will signal to your body that you are safe to rest and digest. And again, notice if you're distracting yourself while eating. Notice if when you sit down to eat, you're scrolling through your phone or, you know, reading anything. Notice if you can just sit and eat. We don't do that anymore. We don't just sit and eat. If you're by yourself, see if you can sit and eat in silence. What happens if you're eating with your family? 
Maybe you already have a practice where you don't allow distractions at the table. If so, that's cool. But if you typically um, eat dinner with your family with the TV on, go ahead and, and see what happens if you take that distraction out for a couple of meals. What happens to you? What happens to everyone else? So that is another good thing to practice. And taking time to chew more thoroughly will help you assimilate your food better, digest your food better, and again, showing your body that it's time to be calm and to actually digest your food. For the action step on this one, I would like to extend an invitation to you to try a distraction-free week. Now, I recognize that this is pretty ambitious, especially if you've never tried anything like it because it's kind of like a fast, but it has the potential to change so much for you. If a week feels like too tall in order, then just try two days. Maybe sit down and think of the things that you either know for sure you're using as a distraction or things that you suspect you're using as a distraction and just avoid those things for two to seven days and and pay attention to how you feel and what unfolds for you because that information will be really helpful for you moving forward. Most people realize when they do this that they don't actually get as much out of social media as they might have thought or that, you know, watching TV habitually just numbs them out but doesn't actually make them feel better. Some methods that I would typically put under the distraction column rather than the ho- the hobby column aren't all bad. Like there's nothing wrong with Instagram. It can be used for good in a lot of ways. It's about how you in particular are interfacing with these things and only you can know what is benefiting you and what is simply distracting you. But if at the end of the two to seven day distraction break, it's really clear that one or two methods are lowering your quality of life somehow and keeping you from experiencing that time where you sit with yourself and you let your spirit speak, then please consider either permanently or semi-permanently removing those things from your life while you do some inner work, if that's what you want to do at this time. Okay, moving on to autopilot. What I mean when I say autopilot is anything that you do because you have to, and you do it without thinking about being present in the moment. So I want to note that falling under The heading of things that you have to do includes both things that you actually have to do and things that you perceive that you have to do. There will always be things that we have to do. We have to work. We have to take care of our kids and our pets. If we have them, we have to pay bills. No one can avoid these things. But in my experience, we really tend to have a less than realistic view of which things truly fall into that category. So an example would be if you think you're really stuck in a job that you hate, 
but you might not actually be. Maybe for the moment you are, for certain, but it's rare for someone to be actually stuck in a job long term. It's much more common that these things can be shifted and changed with some planning and some mindset shifting. When I was at my lowest point about four years ago, I honestly, like honestly, in the depths of my soul, believed that I could control next to nothing in my life. I was in a legitimately crappy situation and temporarily there were many factors that were outside of my control. But, oh my gosh, if nothing else, you always have control over your mindset and your attitude and what you choose to focus your attention on. And that's what I really wasn't getting back then. In less extreme cases, then you usually have control over a lot more than that. And then there's always this cost-benefit analysis that needs to happen. So do you really dislike your job and feel like it's not an energetic match for you? Is there a job that you want instead, but it would require something like a pay cut or moving to another city or another state? Maybe it's worth it. Who knows? entertain it from all angles. I'm not at all trying to tell anyone to quit their job, but I'm using this as an illustration that you're not always as stuck as you think you are. Maybe you are actually stuck in your job for the moment, okay? So what else can you change? Do you need more time alone? Do you need more time socializing? More time playing? Look at all the factors outside of your job that you do have control over and put your focus on those things. Improving your quality of life really hinges, among other things, of course, on putting your attention towards all the things that you can improve instead of using your emotional and psychological energy worrying about or being depressed about the things that are fixed. I was actually speaking to someone yesterday and she was talking about all the things she knew she needed to change in her life and how painful and difficult it would be to change those things. And I I was like, well, maybe that's true. Maybe it will be difficult and painful. But if you focus on that, it'll amplify it. It'll make the pain worse And it'll also make you more likely to just never take action, even if you know you need to. So I encouraged her to instead focus on what she was going to gain from making those changes. There was a result that she was seeking that was just on the other side of taking those steps. So I encouraged her to focus on that because that can seriously make those potentially difficult and painful things feel so worth it and then take down that level of anxiety and that level of pain because your mind is like, but look what we're going to get. And this is advice that we can all use, myself included. I think in some ways coaches have a really sweet deal because the assistance that we offer to clients is almost always assistance that we also need ourselves. So 
that's pretty cool. So there's that aspect of autopilot, which is doing things we think we have to, even if that's not necessarily true. The second thing I want to discuss regarding autopilot is intent. What is your intent behind all the things that you have to do? This comes back to attitude and being present. Staying present is everything. So there are two action items here. The first is around intent. Whenever you're doing something you don't particularly want to be doing, try to remember the positives of it and say them to yourself. If you get home from work, let's say, and you're exhausted and the last thing you want to be doing is cooking dinner, try to take a few breaths and just say to yourself, I'm doing this because I want myself and my partner or family to have healthy home-cooked food because that is what's best for us. I know this sounds like so stupidly simple and elementary, but if you do it often enough and across enough contexts, you will build a practice of thinking about these things, these have-tos, as I'm doing this because I actually want to. Because, hey, could you go to a restaurant instead? Of course. But there's a reason why you're choosing not to. It could be because you are dedicated to health and you know that most restaurant food is not healthy. It could be that you're trying to save money. Those are both great. But again, focus on what you're gaining, not what you're losing. If you haven't reached a point where the benefit of going to a restaurant outweighs the cost of cooking after a long day, then it's still worth it to you. And you can totally improve your mood by focusing on that. And guys, it's so empowering to realize that it's actually your choice to make those decisions. Like in the moment, it doesn't feel like it. In the moment, it's like, oh, I have to cook dinner. But if you like really zoom out for a minute and think about it, you're like, in some strange way, I do want to be cooking dinner. Maybe I don't want to be putting in more work at the end of a long day, but I'm getting something out of this. It's worth it to me. And it's so empowering. So the second action item here is staying aware and staying in the moment. Let's just stick with the cooking analogy since we're already here. Engage your senses. Turn cooking dinner into like a mini meditation. It's totally possible. Listen to the sounds as you chop vegetables, smell the spices or the fresh green smell of herbs, feel the warmth coming from the oven. Why would you do this stuff? I know it sounds wacky. Here's why. When you're in your body, it's impossible to be anywhere else. You can't be daydreaming. You can't be worrying or overthinking or any of the other things that pull you out of the present moment. It's actually a good practice to see how often you're present versus how often you're somewhere else. And this is going to be wildly variable from person to person. But what can start out with the simple be in tune with your senses while cooking dinner exercise can eventually grow and turn into what am I feeling during this disagreement with my friend or my business partner? What is the best way for me to respond? Actually respond 
versus just reacting. And being present, increasing your body awareness, and not being too much in your head are all great practices as you move through your journey to finding your best and most authentic life. Now, I don't know that it's possible to never be on autopilot unless you live in like a monastery and have literally no demands on your time other than cultivating self-awareness. If it is possible, I'm sure as hell nowhere near there. So the point here is not to achieve perfect presence or perfect anything for that matter. The point is that little by little, you will start to notice more and more, even to the point where you might end up saying, damn, why did I start this? I'm noticing everything now, but that's good. It's really good. If you can increase the time in each day where you are present in your body, aware of why you're doing what you're doing and feeling gratitude for even these little things, that has more power than I can possibly articulate. There are people whose lives have totally changed without a single circumstance changing because the way they perceive their life has changed dramatically. And these practices will help so much as we move forward over the coming weeks and can you continue to learn more ways to become ourselves. Okay, so the final thing I want to talk about is radical honesty. I'm kind of obsessed with radical honesty, both as like an intellectual concept and as a practice. I love it because I think it's something that most of us need so much more of. When I talk about uh, personality typing in later episodes, I will explain how radical honesty is one of the main strategies used by my personality type, and it might make more sense why I'm going to be harping on it like all the time. But in any case, radical honesty is hard. It's hard for everyone. But to be fair, it is harder for some. And now for this particular situation, I'm not talking about practicing radical honesty with other people, but rather with yourself, because this is where it has to start. So much of our pain as humans comes from the ways in which we delude ourselves. There's no nice way to say it, truly. And I can vouch for this myself a hundred times over. I remember the moment when I realized and fully admitted to myself that my marriage was in serious trouble and that I couldn't lie to myself about it anymore. I had no idea what I was going to do about it, but the moment of clarity, so to speak, was huge in and of itself. And Honestly, until that moment, I wasn't even aware that I had been lying to myself about it. It was one of those really cliche, like the wool was pulled from my eyes moments where I thought, how the fuck did I miss this? Like it was truly shocking. And the tough thing, it's also a blessing, but it's tough, is that once you see something clearly like that, you can't unsee it. So to begin, 
please don't get ahead of yourself. This is a really easy thing to do that won't help you at all is getting ahead of yourself. Like the most natural thing to do here is think it mostly subconsciously. Okay. If I admit that I have to stop this, then after that, I'll have to change this and this and this. And pretty soon you can end up catastrophizing this whole situation that may or may not even be true because no one can see the future. So again, try to stay in the present moment. If something is coming up for you, just stick with that particular thing and and try not to go on a journey of, and then this and this and this and this. Just, Just stick with the one thing. People usually know what they're telling themselves stories about. And those stories often start out in a way that is helpful. As an example, if there's a child growing up with abusive or addict parents, then things like denial and avoidance are quite literally survival strategies. Kids must utilize those in those types of situations in order to make it through their childhoods. But the trouble starts when whatever harmful or unhealthy situation we are in is over. We leave the situation, but we continue the avoidance or denial behaviors. And most people are not aware that this is happening, by the way. I personally had to get a lot of therapy and a lot of training to become a healer myself to even become really cognizant about these things in myself. They're so deeply buried inside our psyches and the survival-based parts of us want to keep them. That's normal. But here's the thing. We don't want to just be survival-based. We want to move beyond that so that we can actually thrive. This uh, seems like a really natural time to bring up uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs which you can look up if you are unfamiliar with. Our survival needs need to be met before we can move on to that place of thriving. So we're talking safety, security, having adequate food and shelter, things of that nature. So that's why children, well, it's one of the many reasons why children don't do things like self-development because they haven't reached the point where they can support or defend themselves. But even adults can and often are in a similar place. And if that's you, please don't beat yourself up about it. It's not just homeless people who are in this state. When I was at my lowest point, I was 100% still in survival mode. My physical and security needs were being met. But emotionally, psychologically, things were in such chaos that my mind was still perceiving a lack of safety and that's what a lot of people who have chronic stress and chronic anxiety experience so the way through this is highly specific from person to person and therefore not podcast material but the action step here is to just start noticing where you're being less than honest with yourself. This is a process that can take years for some people. 
I really do believe that it's lifelong for most of us, which is why we're given a whole lifetime. We can knock out the big lies in a much shorter time frame, but shedding those layers of conditioning is lifelong, not only because there can be a lot to shed for many of us, but also because the input from the world and the pressures of the world are ongoing. We live in a world where we are always receiving feedback about how to think, how to feel, and how to behave, whether we're consciously aware of it or not. It's happening, it's coming in, and we are assimilating it. That's just part of life. So it is ongoing. Sometimes when I say this to people, they respond with something like, oh, that's so depressing. But I really don't think it is. I think it's awesome, and here's why. It really takes that long for us to learn our lessons and make the impact that we're here to make. The end goal of becoming yourself, if there is an end goal, which is debatable, is to make an impact in the world in your unique way. That's why in the intro to the podcast, I mentioned discovering and embodying our soul's highest purpose. This will be something we will dive into down the line because there are many steps to take before we can honestly get to a point of being able to assess what our purpose is. But everyone has one. And nearly everyone's highest purpose involves making an impact on other people. Of course, there are people who are called to something like holy orders or other lives of solitude, but it's a relatively tiny segment of the population. Most of us are called to live amongst everyone else. Some people's highest purpose is to be a parent and a grandparent. Those are really important jobs, even though they only directly impact a small number of people. Others are called to be Oprah's or Elon Musk's or some other huge time influencer whose reach is hundreds of millions of people. And it doesn't really matter where your purpose falls in that spectrum. What is important is that you remember that your lane, whatever that lane is, is valuable and necessary and perfect for the soul that you have. You are the only person for the job, which is why you have it. So as we go through our time together, please remember to trust in where you are led. Trust in what you are shown. Don't judge it. Be open to what you discover. And even if you know that your life can't support it at this moment, be excited and encouraged that someday, as long as you keep it in your mind and you prioritize it, it will be possible. The more of us who actually do what we are here to do instead of just following these scripted, blueprinted lives the better the world will be for everyone. We are so blessed to live in a time where we've never had fewer survival issues than we do now. We've never had this much free time. We've never had access to this much information. 
And it's actually incredible if you think about it that we even get to have this conversation because for most of human history, self-actualization wasn't really a thing because survival was a thing instead. So let's feel some gratitude for this totally unique time that we're living in and maximize its potential. It doesn't matter where you are in life, whether you were in high school or you just celebrated your 75th birthday. It is never too late to be you. It is never too late to make an impact. And please don't let your inner critic bullshit you into believing that it is too late. It's never too late. I don't know if you can tell or not, but I am so excited for people to rise up and be their biggest, baddest selves. I can't wait to see it. I am so optimistic about, in some ways, the way that things are going and the the curiosity that people have that we're asking these questions. What is my purpose in life? How can I make a bigger impact? Like That is just outrageously exciting to me. I hope you have enjoyed this episode. I know it was a lot. Take a deep breath, everyone. Before I sign off, I want to let you know that sometime in the near future, I haven't decided exactly when, but it will be soon, I will be doing a mini series on the podcast on personality typing because I've studied and taught Myers-Briggs for many years. And I think it's a great leverage point for becoming yourself and figuring out your purpose. Because this is a little more well-known and mainstream than some of my other favorite tools, I would love to know if you have any specific questions around this system. They can be general questions about how the system itself works or specific to individual types. I would love to get a feel for how much familiarity you as my listeners have with the system and what aspects of it you would like to know more about. So if there's anything you'd like me to talk about or address, you can contact me through any of the ways I noted in the beginning. I look forward to digging into this topic with you. It is actually much deeper than you might expect. As always, thank you so much for tuning in and hanging out with me. If you choose to take any of the action steps that I suggested, best of luck on doing that. Please remember to be patient and gentle with yourself. This really is a marathon. It is not a sprint. I will talk to you again next week.